It is good to see each of you. If you would be, open your Bibles to the beginning of the book of Joshua. We'll be looking at some things out of the book of Joshua this evening. It has been a wonderful weekend here in the life of the congregation at Mount Juliet. Our ladies had a wonderful retreat, continue to hear many good things, great attendance, well planned, just a great time together encouraging each other. Also, the fourth and fifth graders had a wonderful retreat. You'll notice several in the audience tonight that are wearing a, a bright lime green t-shirt. And some of them look older than fourth or fifth graders, but they're all fourth and fifth graders. And they had a wonderful, wonderful retreat. And we appreciate those that look a little older for their help on that retreat. Also, our juniors and seniors, 11th to 12th graders, uh, they had a retreat this weekend. And it, too, was a tremendous time. And we appreciate each one that uh, led in those. And we appreciate Appreciate each one that participated in those. Our fellowship together, we need each other to grow. Uh, we were not saved to walk this way alone. We need each other. God is the one who designed fellowship. And having that fellowship is so important. Men, keep in mind that the men's retreat is in just a couple of weekends. There is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. And I mentioned to you, I guess, a, a Wednesday night or two ago, the lineup is absolutely amazing. Some of the best speakers uh, that really in the southeast, and that's not an exaggeration. And uh, make sure that you don't miss out on that opportunity. There will be a lot of fellowship, a lot of uh, activities that will be very enjoyable, but the spiritual feast is also going to be a highlight of that weekend. Uh, be sure that you make your plans to be there and enjoy that time together with Bill McDonald and Lonnie Jones and golf and skeet shooting and just all kind of things. If you want to camp out, it's $15. If you want to go into the lodge, it's $50. And depending on what the weather is, you might decide uh, last year everybody went to the lodge because it was pouring down rain so hard. Uh, keep in mind, this coming week, tomorrow night, if you have said that you want to participate in World Bible School, there's a meeting tomorrow night. Be sure and look in the bulletin for the details of that. Now's the time to get involved in that. Also, uh, keep in mind that this coming Sunday will be Friends Day. And um, one week from tonight, we'll be prepared to to go out with our friends and enjoy a meal in our back parking lot. It'll be a very informal type meal, hot dogs. You're asked to bring side items as well as desserts and the hot dogs and the drinks will be provided. Uh, you know that those are a lot of fun. It's nice just to be able to bring your lawn chair or, or uh, there'll be chairs out there and everybody just make yourself at home. Be inviting your friends for Sunday evening as well as Sunday morning. Sunday morning, go ahead and park a little bit further from the building. Go ahead and leave home a little bit earlier. Put on an extra big smile and be ready to meet a lot of folks. Help people find their Bible classes. And let's make sure that we do everything that we can do to make the first impression the best possible first impression it can be. We don't get a second chance at those. And so let's make sure that we do everything that we can do so that anyone that visits here Sunday will want to come back another time. Have you ever uh, described someone maybe in this way? Maybe you say, you know, the more I'm around them, the more I like them. You know, that is the way I kind of feel about our daily Bible reading this time as we read through recently the book of Joshua. And then as we went back in a particular Bible class that I'm in and, and we've been studying Joshua a little bit deeper, Joshua is an amazing character. He's an amazing man of faith. He's a man that was able to lead people and to help them remain faithful. And if you think about the individuals that led the children of Israel, that was an amazing feat within itself. Not only to remain faithful, but to lead them so that they would be faithful in the years that he led them. 
When we look, for example, right now in our daily Bible reading, uh, many of you are aware of this. We're beginning the book of Judges. And by the way, if you've kind of lost track, you've fallen off the wagon, now's a great week to get back on. Uh, we're near the beginning of Judges. You might want to go back and just scan heavily over the first three or four chapters, and then you start today uh, there in the second or third or fourth chapter of Judges. And, and go ahead and get involved. Go ahead and make sure that every day you're giving part of your day to the study of God's Word. But the book of Joshua and Judges, they are stark uh, contrast to each other. Because you see in Joshua, we see that strong leader as we're reading through the book of Joshua. And we see the people standing strong for those 25 years that are covered. In other words, it begins with him... Moses dying and him leading the children of Israel until his death, those 25 years. But when we read this week through Judges, we're looking at a period of 300 years and we see seven cycles of the children of Israel going up and down, up and down. And every time they would go so low, God would send them a judge that would help them conquer their enemy and then point them back to God. And so we see a great difference in reading these two books. One of the things that I note as different is that they had a leader that was able to help them stay on track. I know, brethren, when we hear so many prayers here, it's true. But but just to say something we know to remind ourselves, when we have godly leadership, we need to appreciate it so much. It's a proven fact that God's people don't do very well without godly leadership. And what a blessing it is for us to enjoy it today. What a blessing it was for the children of Israel during Joshua's day. If you have your Bible open, I hope you do. I'm going to start at a passage that we don't have a reference for it on the screen, but flip over one more book to Judges. In Judges, the second chapter, I'd like for you to notice verse 7 as we read this kind of as a compliment to Joshua. This is what kind of man he was. In Judges, the second chapter, notice verse 7. Judges, the second chapter, verse 7. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. And all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. How great was Joshua? Joshua was not only great in the fact that he was faithful. And that's an awesome uh, compliment to anyone. They're faithful to God. But he was able to lead the children of Israel that the years he was alive and leading them, they were faithful. Now note this next compliment. Even the elders that he had influence, once he died, the elders that he had influence over, as long as they continued to live, Israel was faithful. It wasn't until after those people died that Joshua had influence that the children of Israel began to lose their way. Now, we can compliment Joshua in that, but we also can learn a valuable lesson. It's never enough just for us to be faithful. We need to make sure that we're raising that next generation to be faithful also. Joshua did that, but yet when he passed away, the elders that followed him did not continue in that same way. They remained faithful, but they didn't raise up a generation behind them that would remain faithful. And so we see Joshua, but we also see a realistic fact that we must constantly be faithful and be growing the next generation to be faithful also. Let's go back to the beginning of the book of Joshua now, and let's think about some reasons why we say that Joshua was so faithful, and and to know him is to only appreciate him more and more. On this next slide, I'd like for us to bullet just a few things, and as, as we just get a start into this lesson, here's some reasons we can appreciate Joshua. 
In Exodus, the 17th chapter, we see that he was put in charge of the defending attack as Moses was leading the children of Israel towards Sinai. They were at Raphidim, and the Amaleks were coming up, and they were attacking them. And out of all the people that Moses could have chosen, he chose Joshua to be the one to go down and lead the people. Now, the way you probably remember this story, you'll remember this story. Remember, this was the battle that as long as Moses could keep his arms up, Joshua and the children of Israel prevailed. And his arms would get tired and he'd put them down and they would begin to lose. And so her and, and Aaron held his arms up. They set him on a, a stone or a stool and, and they held his arms up. And by the end of the day, now you imagine Joshua fought all day long, but by the end of the day, he had won the battle as the leader of those people. We see him being selected. In other words, here's the point. From a young man, Joshua was a faithful man. We just do not read many negative things about Joshua. He is truly worth us admiring him and saying that's a role model that all of us ought to strive to be. We see him listed in Exodus the 24th chapter, verse 13. Also here in Joshua, if you have your Bible open, the very first chapter, the very first verse. Several times in the Bible, he's listed as Moses' assistant. We know that Moses was one of the greatest leaders that's ever lived. And, you know, we, we talk a lot today about the greatness of a leader and who he surrounds himself with. It's interesting that Moses was such a capable leader, but he also associated himself with an assistant like Joshua. Also in Numbers, the 13th chapter, we see early in that chapter, the decision was made to send 12 spies into Canaan. Each tribe was responsible for choosing one leader that would be a part of their expedition. And it was his tribe of Ephraim that chose him to be the leader. So he was a standout, if you will. He was a man that not only was faithful, but he was recognized as a leader from a very young age. Now, you remember the story when the 12 tribes went over, the 12 representatives of the tribes went over and spied out the land. We read later on in Numbers, the 14th chapter, that 10 of those spies came back and they gave a very negative report. It wasn't just negative in the sense that it was pessimism. It was negative in the sense it was unfaithful. They did not believe that God could keep his promises. And it was Caleb and Joshua, not because they thought they were some mighty army, it was because they believed that God was faithful. And if God told them that he was going to give them that land, they believed God. And so they begged the people. Now the people did not listen to them at that point. But nevertheless, it was Joshua and Caleb that made their stand in faith. And that takes us to the next bullet here in Deuteronomy 1, 34 through 40. Of their generation, there were only two that were allowed to go into Canaan land, and it was Joshua and Caleb because of that. And also, in Joshua, the 24th chapter, in verse 31, that's another passage that's similar to the passage we just read over in Judges, the second chapter, where all of the days that Joshua was alive, he was a faithful man, and while he led the children of Israel, they too were faithful. Now, as we think about reading through the scriptures as we've been doing, I want to remind you that when we come to the end of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. The book of Joshua, of course, is about Joshua's leadership. The end of the book of Joshua, Joshua dies, and it's about the judges leading. And so when we think about this time period, that was a serious transition for the children of Israel because... It was Moses that was courageous enough to stand before Pharaoh and say, on behalf of God, let my people go. 
They had seen Moses stand courageous like that. They had seen Moses part the waters. They had gone to Moses when they were thirsty. They had gone to Moses when they were hungry. They had gone to Moses when they were scared. And then the battles that they had been a part of up to this time, they depended upon Moses' leadership. Friends, there's no doubt that the children of Israel could have become very uneasy at the fact that now they're near the Jordan River. It's time for them to go over and fight and fight and fight. They knew they were facing fortified cities. They knew that the population would be much greater of the enemies. They knew that they were trained soldiers. So many things could have appeared as negatives. Who is going to step up and replace this man? Now, as we begin answering this, I'd like for us to really look at two things that probably could be a list of many things, but tonight we'll only address two of those things. What is it that God would do to prepare Joshua for his great responsibility as the new leader over the children of Israel? Let's repeat that to make sure we're all on the same page when we begin this. What would God do to help prepare Joshua to be the new leader over the children of Israel? Look, if you will, in Joshua, the first chapter. Can you imagine God coming down and giving you a speech? Well, that's what God does with Joshua. One of the things that he's going to do is he's going to come down and just have a talk with him and let him know what he needs to know from the Almighty God. Now, as we do this, I'd like for you to notice verse 1 sets the stage that uh, the who Joshua was. And the speech begins in verse 2. How's God going to begin this speech? Does this strike you as a little bit interesting? Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, now that's the way to begin a speech, isn't it? This great man that we all have loved, he's been such an effective leader, and all of us maybe are nervous about the fact that he's not around anymore, so let's just cut through the chase and let's begin there. God speaks to Joshua and says... Moses is dead. Now notice the rest of this verse. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Why does he begin with Moses' death being stated so matter of fact? Why does he immediately say, Now, here's what I want you to do. The land that I'm giving, it's just over the Jordan there. I want you to take the children of Israel and go and accept that gift that I'm giving you. Friends, here's a simple point that I must get. There is no person more important than the cause of God. A great man like Moses, his death was not going to stop the cause of the children of Israel going back to their home. A great man like Moses passing away was not going to hinder the covenant that was made all the way back to Abraham that God's people were going to be blessed and that they were going to be given their land. And through that lineage, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Friends, it's this simple. Things had to go on even after Moses' life was finished. Now that is something that all of us ought to recognize and strive to make sure that it's true in our families, that it's true in the life of our congregation, that in principle it's true in ministries that you work in. There is not anyone here 
more important than the cause of Christ in this congregation. So you just fill in the blank. You take any of our leadership and you just fill in the blank. So-and-so has died. Will the work go on? It better. And if it doesn't, so-and-so has hindered the work by making it appear that they are more important than the cause of Jesus Christ. What about us as parents? One of these days, we're going to die. Well, we have raised the next generation in such a way that they're ready to march right on and carry the torch. Moses is dead. And God says to Joshua, now it's your turn. Stand up and lead. Get the people across to the land that I'm giving them. Three times, he says in various ways, be strong and courageous. Look at verse 6. Be strong and a good courage. Why? Because I'm giving you an inheritance. Look at verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Why? Observe all the law that I command you. Don't go to the right or to the left. Look at verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Three times he says to him in very clear terms, be strong. In other words, don't be a novice. Don't be a weak beginner. Grow, mature, be strong, and be courageous. Don't be fearful. He had proven his, his courage. Remember the 12 spies? He was one of the two that says, we can do this. He had proven himself to be strong and courageous. And now God is coming back and giving him the reminder, the wake-up call again, if you will, to say, be strong and courageous, that land I'm giving you, it's there. Be strong and courageous. Do not follow anything except my word. Don't go to the right. Don't go to the left. Be strong and courageous. I'm always with you. No doubt that was a great encouragement to Joshua to have God to come down and to speak to him. If you have your Bible open, we'll just mention a couple of things as we flip some pages. There's a second thing that I think is powerful that God did to help prepare Joshua. In the second chapter, we read about Rahab. In the third chapter, we see Israel crossing over the Jordan. In the fourth chapter, remember that was the 12 stones that were raised up because, again, that was God's way for the next generation to know about the Almighty God. We must be setting up memorials in the sense that we're doing things that will help our children, help the next generation know what God has done, who God is, and what God promises. And then we come to the fifth chapter. And here in the fifth chapter, the reason we're really turning here is just the last few verses of the fifth chapter. Another thing that God does that helps no doubt prepare Joshua that's really interesting. But I'd like you to see the setting of this. When we see the fifth chapter and we scan verse 1 and 2, we see that whenever God allowed the children of Israel to miraculously cross over the Jordan, He says there towards the end of verse 1 that the Canaan's kings, literally their heart was melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the children of Israel. The enemy has already heard about the power of the children of Israel. And then over the following verses, over 3, 4, 5, 6, 7... We see that the children of Israel are commanded by Joshua because God commands Joshua to sharpen the flint knives and to do something that had been put off for the last 40 years. You see, while they were wandering in the wilderness, the sign of the covenant had not been kept. The men had not been circumcised. 
So he was going to gather all the people together there and all the men were going to be circumcised. Now that's interesting when you think about circumcision being the sign of the covenant. And we usually refer to the covenant as a three-part covenant. One was that the lineage would come through Abraham and that his descendants would be more than the grains of, of sand. The second is that Abraham's lineage would have a land. And see, they're about to cross over and they are about to take over Jericho and, and they are about to start claiming their land. And so it's interesting now that God is saying, let's go back to that sign again. Let's be reminded of that covenant. And of course, the third part of the covenant is that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through this lineage. Now, another thing that's simply interesting to note is look there in verse 10. Another thing they did was celebrate the Passover. Remember the Passover went back to the date that they were freed, the 10th plague, death passed over. Uh, the oldest, the firstborn of Egypt were destroyed, but yet because they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they were delivered. And so one time a year they would celebrate the Passover. You see how all this is falling together? The enemies are afraid. Let's do the sign of the covenant to make sure we remember why we're taking this land. It's a promise that God's given us. Let's go ahead and celebrate the Passover. Remember everything God has done for us. Look how powerful He is. And then if we drop down and started reading in, in chapter 6 right now, we would see that Jericho is given to them as they march around the city exactly the way God has told them. But tucked in between these is something that it's almost easy to just read it and, and not even really take notice of it. But tonight, in these last few minutes we have, I'd like for you to pay careful attention to these three verses. Let's read now in Joshua, the fifth chapter, 13, 14, and 15. And it came to pass, when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. Other translations would say, Neither. That's the best way for us to understand it. This man didn't say which side he was on. He said, I'm for neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. And the next verse begins the record of conquering Jericho. Why? Right now, if you had to get out a piece of paper and write a paragraph explanation, why those three verses? God had been reminding them it's about the covenant. Remember the Passover. You're about to go over. Joshua. I want to remind you of just one more thing before you go over. Who was this commander of the army? You notice that Joshua called him Lord. And Joshua was not corrected by him. Notice Joshua fell down on his face. You know the definition of worship? 
It's to pour out adoration, but it also is to prostrate oneself, to bow down as before a king. He was not only worshiping, he was even exemplifying in his posture worship. And times in the scriptures that we see men worshiping God's men, God's men corrected them and told them to get up and to worship only God. And times in the scripture that we see God's men or, or men falling down to worship God's angels, even the angels corrected them and told them only to worship the Almighty. But notice there was no correction here. He calls him Lord, and he didn't correct him and say, I'm not the Lord. He falls down to worship him, and he didn't say, Oh, rise up, don't worship me, only worship the Lord. Friends, what's happening here? We get a glimpse of what God has done to many individuals to prepare them for greater service and just to show them His majesty. Take off your shoes, Joshua. You're standing on holy ground. And Joshua recognizes the majesty of God. Takes off his shoes. And what would you do in the presence of the Almighty God? Bow down and worship. Do you think Joshua may have gotten up from there just a little more focused about who this battle really belonged to? Do you think he might have gotten up from there and realized, you know, there's a lot more strength going into this battle than just me and and some of these men here. This is the Lord's battle. This is strengthened by the Lord. I'm simply a servant of the Almighty. Here is the leader. Joshua was the man. Moses is dead. You're the one that parted Jordan. You're the one that led the people over. You're the one going to take over Jericho. And what do we see the man doing? Bowing down in the deepest humility to say, God, I worship you. I know we don't have much time, but you may want to make notes on this because I promise you it's worth going back and reading. Do you remember what God believed that Moses needed to be able to convince him of the task that lay before him? Do you remember back in Exodus, the third chapter, the burning bush that was not consumed? And you remember when he approached that bush, what God told him? He let him know that he was talking to Almighty God. He told him, you're standing on holy ground. Take off your sandals. And what happened in Moses' life? Moses began to believe in a cause that was greater than just him. He believed in being a part of a work that he could never do on his own, but he recognized the fact that the Almighty God was at work willing to use Moses. And so Moses, after a few excuses, Moses went and did the work. But what did he have to see first? He had to see the majesty of God in order to do God's work. What did Joshua have to see? For whatever reason, God revealed to him the majesty of God for him to be ready. In Isaiah, the sixth chapter, we see Isaiah, one of the great prophets of old, 
the beginning of his ministry, we see in the sixth chapter, he is shown a vision. In the sixth chapter in verse one, he sees the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And we see the robe filling the room. And we see the cherubim singing songs of praise. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the doors are shaking. There's smoke filling the room. And you know what Isaiah is doing? Isaiah is saying, oh, I'm ruined. I'm a sinful man. I I have unclean lips and I come from people of unclean lips. Brethren, what's happening? Isaiah is becoming humble. And it's there the cherubim flies over. He gets through the tongs, the cold, and he symbolically purifies his lips. And do you remember the end of that story? I know you remember it. And if you don't, you'll remember when I say this. Remember at the end, the Lord said, who will I send and who will go for me? And it's after he sees the majesty of God. It's after he realizes how sinful he is, but yet God could cleanse him. God can do awesome things. It's then he answers, here I am, Lord, send me. One more example, and we close the lesson. Ezekiel, a very similar story at the very beginning of Ezekiel's ministry. And if you you remember, God asked Ezekiel to do some of the hardest things. Ezekiel had a tough ministry. I doubt there's anybody here that would say, I'd like to change places with Ezekiel. How was he going to find the strength to fulfill this challenging ministry that God was giving him? There's many things in the vision that God showed him. But I would like to just scan a few things out of the end of Ezekiel, the first chapter, uh, verse 26 and following. And above the firmament over their heads was the likeness of a throne in the appearance... Uh, like a sapphire stone, on the likeness of the throne was the likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. Also from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw as it were the color of amber. And he describes more about this bright and brilliant uh, uh, scene that's there. And at the end of 28, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. Now this is Ezekiel. So when I saw it, I fell on my face And I heard a voice of one speaking, and he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet. I am to speak to you. And the Spirit entered me when he spoke to me. And he set me on my feet, and I heard him who spoke to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, and their fathers have transgressed against me to this day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord. And he writes on and tells him, don't be afraid. Friends, do you see how it happens just too often for us not to take note of it? When God had great missions, God showed people His majesty. And when they saw His majesty, they bowed down and worshipped as if to say, I don't deserve this. Look how awesome God is and look how weak I am. And God would always stand them back up and say, I need someone to go. And it would be in that setting that individuals would say, I'll go. Moses finally said, I'll go. Joshua said, there's Jericho. I'll go. Isaiah first said, I'm too sinful. But once he realized the cleansing nature of God, he said, Send me. Ezekiel was looking at a huge task. God showed him his glory. And Ezekiel said, I'll go. Friends, it just encourages me to no end to look around 
that here are 500 people that want to come together and worship God on a Sunday night. What a blessing. What a blessing. But what should happen in worship? Worship is a time for us to pour out our adoration to the Almighty God. And when we see the greatness of God, we're going to see how feeble we are spiritually. But we're also in worship going to see the cleansing nature of God. And we're going to see what God can do for us and what He can do through us. And the result ought to always be that we leave worship saying, Here I am. Send me. Just something to mull over and think about. If you're struggling spiritually and you're trying to put your finger on exactly what is it, could it be that you haven't been pouring out your adoration in worship? That's just become mundane. And when we sing songs of praise, you don't see that Lord high and lifted up. And maybe when you pray, it's just words. You don't think about approaching the Almighty throne. And when we study, maybe you're not thinking about the fact this, this is the word of the Almighty God. Friends, when our worship is truly adoration to God, it changes us.